Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you again for your love and your grace and your mercy. You're such a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we do lift up our, uh, our country to you this morning. We pray, Father God, for your protection upon those who are defending us. And, and Father God, I just pray, Lord, that through this, your perfect will would be done. I pray for opportunities for us to share the gospel with others, Lord, who may be troubled over what's going on in Iraq. But Father, we thank you that you're a faithful God, that you're in control, and that, Lord, we have nothing to fear. There's no fear for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, we can rest in you. And Father, I pray as we go to the Word this morning that we would learn from the example of the blind man. Lord, that if any are here that are blind spiritually, Lord, may their eyes be opened. And Father, if we're falling under the discouragement or the persecution that the blind man suffered, I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged this morning and strengthened in our walk with you. So, Lord, we love you. We pray that you would be our teacher. We're desperate for you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So, Lord willing, we're going to look at the entire chapter this morning, and I want to begin by, again, just talking about the fact that Jesus had performed miracles already in John, and every time he performed a miracle, it was one to bless the person that, that had that need, whether it be at the, the, the wedding where he turned the water into wine or feeding the 5,000. Whenever he performed a miracle, it was to minister to a human need, but it was also to reveal a much deeper spiritual truth. When he turned the water into wine, it was a picture of the fact that only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can there be that ultimate wedding between the, the bride of Christ, the church, and Christ. Only through his shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Then we saw when he fed the 5,000 just how Jesus is the bread of life. And unless we feed upon him, unless we know him in a personal and intimate way, we cannot have eternal life. Well, the same will be true this morning as we look in John chapter 9 at Jesus giving sight to a blind man. We'll see that a true relationship with God is more than just a surface belief in Him. It's a complete surrender of my life to Him. So we're going to look first at this physical miracle that will ultimately result in the, both the physical change in this guy's life, but ultimately the greatest miracle is going to be the spiritual transformation. Because you know what? If a blind man can now see, but yet he still spends eternity separated from God, then that miracle hasn't accomplished very much. Ultimately, it must be something that transforms us eternally, not just temporally. You know, often when we pray, we pray for a temporal change. We want God to bring temporal blessing. But we really need to have our heart, our mind, our eyes focused on that which is eternal over and above the things up here and now. So first we're going to see as we look at him giving sight to a blind man. First, the blind man is going to be healed. Then we'll see him be questioned by both his neighbors and the Pharisees. Then we'll see them question his parents. And then lastly, we're going to see the blind man testify and what it means to have true visions. Let's begin in verse 1 of John chapter 9, looking at giving sight to a blind man. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. As Jesus passed by, this is picking up right where John 8 left off. In John 8, we saw the clear contrast between grace and the law, between life and death. And then Jesus, they wanted to stone him to death because he proclaimed himself to be God. The Pharisees would not receive him as Lord and Savior, so they wanted to silence him. Much like the world wants to silence his word today. But the good news is, you can't silence God. Amen? They can try to legislate him out of things, but God will always be God. He'll always be on the throne. He's always going to be faithful, and we can rest in that. And so he had been, they were going to stone him, and it said that he left out of their presence, because it was not time yet for him to go to the cross. And the reason it was not time yet is there was divine appointments still along the way. You know, my prayer daily is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want him to come back. But I'm really glad that he didn't come back before I got saved. Amen? And aren't you glad that he didn't come back a week before you were going to get, you know, praise God for his timing and his mercy and his grace. And he did not go to the cross yet because there were still divine appointments to come. He still needed to teach the disciples more. And so he left their midst, and as he was going out of their midst, probably going up to the Mount of Olives, as he often did when he left the temple, he saw a man there who had been blind from birth. Now, I love the fact that this man was begging, this man was in a place of torment, and the Lord saw him. And no matter what you're going through, I want you to know clearly that the Lord sees you, and he loves you. Amen? No matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulty it is, God's eyes are on you. He cares for you. He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. And so Jesus' time was not yet. He's going out. And it says there that the man was blind from birth. Now let me just explain to you how heavy that is. Being blind, I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but I have to confess to you, I think that would just be extremely difficult. 
to be blind. But imagine being blind in the days before there was Braille, in the days before there was a radio, in the days before there were books on tape, in the days before there were all the things that we have now to help make, not, not to make it easy, but make a blind person's life easier. Back in those days, when you were blind, you, you had nothing. And basically, you, had to, you were unemployable. You know, blind people, they get jobs, it's great, they can read with Braille, there's things they can do. But back then, if you were blind, you couldn't get a job. You basically were, were sentenced to a life of begging. And so Jesus walks by and he sees this man begging for alms who had been blind from birth, forced basically to beg to survive, living in the world's perspective a very difficult very difficult life. The man had no concept of colors, no concept of faces, no concept of the world around him. He was blind, and he'd been blind since birth. He didn't know what, he couldn't understand the way that a sighted person could. He had no idea. Someone tried to describe a cloud to him. What does that mean? Try to describe the color blue. Can you imagine? And the man had never seen it, so he had no idea. He was blind. But then came Jesus, and I love this. It says, And he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, there's no you know, coincidences with the kingdom of God. It was a divine appointment as he came by, and his disciples were under the, the notion, as many of the Jews were in that day, that if you were born with a birth defect, or if you had any kind of an illness, it was because of your sin. Now, the good news is that... now. I want to make a, a balanced view of this real clearly. All sickness ultimately is a real result of the original sin in the Garden of Eden, right? If there had been no sin in the Garden, nobody would be getting sick right now, right? And nobody would be dying either. But because of that original sin, there is sickness. I also want to say this too, that sometimes because of our sin, you know, if I go out and I, I drink, you know, 12 bottles of vodka every day and I get cirrhosis of the liver, I'm thinking that's probably a result of my sin. Amen? But at the same time, birth defects or things that happen in our life are, don't always, are not always a result of the sin of man or that sin of that individual. And so these guys had fallen into the trap of thinking, if you see someone who's sick, then they must be a sinner. So can imagine being the blind man now for a minute. Just sit back. You cannot see. You cannot get a job. You cannot do anything. You have to beg to survive. And then everybody tells you that the reason you're blind is because of your sin that you did and wait a minute, how could I sin before I was born? They taught that you could sin in your womb. Going back to Genesis 25 with Esau and Jacob, you guys remember that story? Esau and Jacob were battling, so they used that to say, well, see, you must have sinned in the womb. Now, we're born sinners, but the reality is that you sinned in the womb. Okay, great. So, so you blew it before you were born, so guess what? Now you're, now you're going to be blind the rest of your life. Can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine the desperation in the life of this man? having to beg and being ridiculed all the while. No doubt some came by and he begged for alms. And they said, you know what? I'm not going to give anything to you. You're a vile, wicked sinner, and that's why you're blind. It's God's punishment on you. What would be your, your vision of who God is if someone were treating, people were treating you that way? Here's this blind man. He's hurting. He's desperate. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, sadly, there's still people that believe things like that today. You know, the Hindus teach that the reason you have ailments today is because of sins in your past life. By the way, appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. Amen? None of you was the queen of Egypt, you know, in a past life. And isn't it amazing how people have past lives were always someone famous, by the way? I, I find that funny. No one was ever like a janitor in El Segundo. He was always, you know, he was always the queen or the, the, the king or, you know, he was always something incredible, right? But no, you weren't. This is it. Point of man wants to live, then to die, and then to judgment. But Hindus would say, well, the reason you have headaches is because in your previous life you disobeyed your parents. Or the reason you have this problem is because in your previous life. Well, no, that's not how it works. The reality is that birth defects are not due to sins in the world. But birth defects are because of fallen nature that we live in. But God will use even difficulty for His glory. Look at verse 3. And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The issue of this man being blind was not sin of his family, but an opportunity for ministry. Every single time there's misery, there's an opportunity for ministry. Amen? The Iraqi war, opportunity for ministry. Being diagnosed with cancer, opportunity for ministry. 
Every time we go through difficulty. Why? Because our God is faithful. Did God know that there was going to be a war in Iraq right now? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I believe it even hastens the second coming of Christ. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? But the reality is that God is faithful and He's in control and we don't have anything to fear or worry about. Amen? We can just love people and point them to the truth. This man was born blind for a special purpose, that God might be glorified when He heals him. Again, ministry ministry comes through misery, through trials and through difficulty. God is faithful. Not God's divine punishment, but God's divine plan is the reason this man was born blind. I tell you this, this man is in heaven, as we're going to see at the end of the chapter, and there's not a doubt in my mind that he praises God that he was born blind. And we're going to see why from the opportunity for ministry that came from this chapter. Look at verse 4 and 5. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus' time on earth was, was limited. And he had an urgency in his heart to touch lives while it was still day. Like the old saying, to make hay while the sun's shining, right? I mean, we have a limited amount of time, and I want to be, you know, I've, I've got a calling upon my life. Now, he's the son of the living God, and he's God made manifest in the flesh, but he had an urgency in his heart to do the will of the Father. And as Christians, shouldn't we too have an urgency in our heart to do the will of the Father? Amen? Should, you know, our time is limited. Our life is but a vapor, the Bible says. None of us has the promise of tomorrow, and there should be an urgency in our life to do things that are going to impact eternity. And so this, we see the Lord said, hey, I am the light of the world. Now this blind man, I believe, is clearly a picture of us all, that we were born blind, born blind in our sin. But Jesus is the light of the world. And God has called us to be a reflection of that light. You know, the sun and the moon analogy, right? Why does the moon shine bright? It's a reflection of the S-U-N, the sun. And why should we as Christians be glowing in the dark? Because we should be a reflection of the S-O-N. Amen? We should be the moon that reflects the sun to the world that's around us. Jesus is the light of the world. In the midst of war, Jesus is the light of the world. When people have cancer, Jesus is the light of the world. In the midst of financial difficulty, Jesus is the light of the world. When everybody else is panicking, when there is no hope and there are no answers, we know who the way and the truth and the life is. Amen? And you know what? We should be able to to let people know that there's hope. Amen? Let people know, hey, you know what? You don't have anything to worry. God's faithful. He loves you. He's a merciful and a gracious God. He's the light of the world, and we're to be a reflection of Him. And He had an urgency in His heart to minister to those who were in darkness. Verse 6. When He had said these things, He spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You know, it's interesting that Jesus heals several blind men in the Bible. And every time He heals one, He heals them in a different way. And let me tell you why I believe this is true. In Matthew, He healed two blind men by touching their eyes. In Matthew, in Matthew 9. In Matthew 8, he healed a blind man by putting spit in his eyes. But this time, he uses clay. Now why? Here, let me tell you why I believe. I believe that he did not want them looking at the method, but he wanted them to look at the transformation of someone's life. If he healed people the same way every single time, we'd be having spit-in-your-eye crusades, right? I mean, people would take whatever he did, and they'd be doing that same thing over and over because they would look at the method rather than the message. They would look at the way that it was done and they would be falling in love with that instead of looking to the Messiah. And so every time he healed someone, he would use different methods so that people's eyes would not be on the method but on the Messiah, but on the message that was behind it. Now why did he use clay? Let me tell you a couple reasons why. First of all, it's a picture of how Jesus created us from the dust to the ground. You know, Jesus is God, but he's also the creator. Amen? He always has been, he always will be, he's not a created being, he's God. And so he created us from the dust of the ground. It's a picture of how today God continues to use dirt, you and me, right, as tools when he opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. When God uses you, he's using dirt, because that's what we are, amen? And he's using us as tools to open the eyes of of a lost and a dying world. And then lastly, what do you think clay would do when you put it in someone's eyes? How many of you, I know every hand should be up, how many of you have ever got something in your eye before? That's no fun, right? And it can be the littlest thing, a piece of sand, and you're going nuts. You ever get any chemicals or something in your eye, man? It's like, man, it's just irritating. 
And, and can you imagine him coming up and putting clay in his eyes? Now, I believe this is like a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts us of our sin, right? This guy said, man, I need to get my eyes cleaned. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. It's, it's an irritant, in a sense. It's something that drives us to the cross. It's something that draws us and shows us our need for a Savior. And so we see here that he put clay in his eyes to, to put an urgency in the man's heart. Verse 7. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, we can't just gloss over this verse, but Jesus gives this blind man an opportunity to respond by faith. He puts clay in his eyes, and then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I, I don't know where they were standing or how far away it was, because it doesn't say in the text. But I have an idea that there was water probably closer by than the pool of Siloam. Whether it was a pitcher of water that somebody might have had, or something else, it might have been a, a rag he could have grabbed to clean out his eyes, but the Lord said, look, You go to the place I'm sending you, and there you will be cleansed. Don't go to the most convenient route. Don't go to the thing that's closest to you. You go, and you go to the pool of Siloam, and there you will be cleansed. Now, it's interesting that Siloam means sent. Who's the sent one? Jesus Christ. Go and be cleansed in the sent one, and then you will see. Isn't that the same message for all of us? That when in our spiritual blindness, we needed to be washed where? In the sent one. Not go to the most convenient route. Not, go, not just any other path, not just any other place of cleansing, but only one place where you will be cleansed. And that was in the sent one. And the only place where this man's sight would be restored is if he obediently responded to the word and went to the place where the Lord had sent him and washed his eyes there. Now, can you imagine that he, he was a blind man? He didn't have a seeing eye dog. Okay? So that means he might have had to ask for help down to the pool. Hey, i got to go to the pool. Somebody help me. Where is it? I need some help. Somebody take me there. And he went down in obedience to the pool of Siloam, and he washed. And can you imagine what happened when he came up out of the water? This man who had never seen anything before, for the first time in his life, his eyes were opened, and he saw colors. He saw clouds. He saw faces. He saw people. Can you imagine the amount of joy that must have been in his life going, though I was once blind, but now I see? Shouldn't that be the same response of each one of us who were once blind and dead in our trespasses and sins when we come to know Jesus Christ? Shouldn't it be even greater than that? I was once blind, but now I see. I've been born again. I'm ha-ha, heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. Amen? I'm going. And there should be a, a transformation and a joy that comes over us. And he comes back seeing. What an awesome thing. Comes back seeing. That's a, that's a pretty insane, you know, you can just read through that verse and not think much of it, but be the blind man for a minute, and that's a pretty awesome moment. I imagine his trip back from the pool was a little different than his trip down to it. Amen? Going down like this and probably came back jumping and leaping and skipping and excited, and man, what an awesome moment. Now watch what happens after he's been cleansed, after he's been healed. He's been touched. For the first time, his eyes have been opened. Look at the response of the people around him. They're going to begin to question him. First his neighbors and then the Pharisees. Look at verse 8. Therefore the neighbors, those who previously had seen that he was blind, said, said, Is this not the one who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I'm he. Yeah, that's me. Word up. Yep, that used to be me. I'm not the blind guy anymore. I'm not laying down there by the... Nope, I'm it. Yeah, that's me. You know what? This guy was excited because his life had been touched, because he once was blind, but now he can see. And the people said, oh, I think it's... Well, no, it can't be him, because first of all, nobody who had ever been born blind had ever received their sight ever prior to this. First time. And so they said, oh, it can't be. It's too miraculous. It's impossible. Maybe for some of you, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and then you saw someone six months or a year later, they're like, dude, that can't be him, right? That guy was a mess. That woman was a disaster. I can't, no, that can't be, it's probably someone who looks like him, because that can't be him, right? But when we give our life to the Lord, there should be such an incredible transformation that people are saying, wait a minute, this can't even be true. This is too incredible. We can't even believe this is real. Verse 10. Therefore, he said, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? What method did you use? What kind of program did you enter? 
What, what exactly is it that happened that you used to be blind and now you can see? They ask how, when we're going to see, they should have been asking who. Instead of saying, you know, what program did you enter, they should have said, who is it that touched you? We're going to see that as we continue on through the text. Verse 11. He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. So the healed man now testifies to the fact that Jesus touched him. And it begins to stir up the hearts of others. When you tell people that Jesus has touched you, people around you are going to be stirred up. What? Oh, really? What happened? Jesus, where is this guy who touched you? Where is this guy that can take someone who's been blind since birth and now you can see? I want to meet him. Where is he? Now, the sad statement here is he doesn't know. And sometimes that can happen to us. We come before God in a moment of desperation, but then when our problem goes away, we get our eyes off of Jesus and we don't know where he went. Amen? You know, we're on our knees every night when our, when our child is in the intensive care unit and we're crying out to God, but sometimes when our child comes home and he's been healed, then all of a sudden we don't cry out as much as we used to and we get our eyes off the Lord. This man's been healed, but he doesn't know where Jesus has gone. And I want you to make a note here, if you're taking notes. His first time referring to Jesus, he calls him a man called Jesus. We're going to see the transformation in this man's belief as we go along through the chapter. Now he's been questioned by the, his neighbors, now he's going to be questioned by the Pharisees. Remember who the Pharisees are, the self-righteous, black robe-wearing, religious individuals who are spiritually deader than a doornail, right? Does that describe him pretty well? I mean, these guys are wearing the robes, right, and look like they're sucking on a lemon and, you know, living in a big house up on the hill and putting burdens on everybody else's back. And, and you know what? They were guys that just condemned and, ugh, not good. You know what? If you're someone who God has called to minister to his people, shouldn't there be joy? Amen? You go to a church and the pastor doesn't have no joy, that's not good. Amen? Dude, what, why, do I want to, why do I want to listen to you, man? You ain't got no joy yourself, right? And these guys, were, these guys were just putting burdens on people and making people feel guilty and weighing people down. And so they're going to bring this guy in. And remember, he was blind and now he sees. This guy is stoked. This guy couldn't be happier. He's going to come in and the Pharisees are going to try to rain on even this incredible miracle. Look at verse 13. Then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Do you think that Jesus knew it was the Sabbath when he made the clay and opened his eyes? Of course he did. He's God, right? Put the stars in the sky. He knows what day of the week it is, right? Now, here's what he does. He makes the clay. He does things that are in violation of the, the religious law of the day, but are in no way in violation of God's ultimate plan for the Sabbath. Remember the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath, this day of rest, into a day of heavy burden. You can't do this on the Sabbath. Can't do this. Can't. Everybody's sitting around on the Sabbath. Oh, I'm, I don't want to violate the law. You know, they lay in bed. I don't want to violate the law. If I roll over, is that working? I'm out, you know, they, they, weren't allowed to, they weren't allowed to wear their false teeth because that would be you know, carrying a burden. You know, they, they couldn't, you know, have, if they had a wooden leg, they had to take it off because that would be carrying a burden. They weren't allowed to cook anything because it would be heating stuff up. That'd be, you know, they couldn't take a bath because water might spill out, hit the floor. They'd be washing the floor, and that would be work. So you had a bunch of people who stunk, who could not eat, and were hopping around on one leg. I mean, it was just pathetic that this thing had become such a heavy burden. Instead of a joy, instead of going, yeah, Sabbath, rest. It was like, oh no, the Sabbath's coming up. Got to make sure we get all the, you know, we can't do anything. It's going to be a heavy-duty day. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, turns him from a man who was once blind, begging by a gate, to a man who has sight, and here come the Pharisees to rain on it. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Wait a minute. I was blind, and now I see. Oh, dude, that guy ain't from God. He put clay in your eyes on the Sabbath. That's totally in violation of Regulation 57.1.3-C, right? I mean, these guys, instead of looking to God, instead of seeing the miraculous work in this individual, all they care about are the rules. Rules that they had made up, by the way. Not rules that are in the Bible, rules they made up to keep people under a burden, to make it heavy. Hey, if you go to a church and all you feel like is, oh, there's heavy burden on you all the time, and they're just 
pouring stuff on your head, man, go somewhere else. Amen? Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? And our lives have been transformed by him, and we can have joy of the Lord in our lives, not walking around under this, you know, with the willful rules in heaven at the end. And these guys are just pouring these burdens on him and saying, oh, this man can't be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Not according to the law of Moses, but according to the law of these guys. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Good question. And there was a division among them. You know what? Jesus will always bring division. Always. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no kind of saved. It's like being kind of pregnant, right? I mean, you either are or you're not. Either you're born again or you're not. Either you know him or you don't. And it brought division. And so when you stand up and you start talking about the Lord at school or the Lord at work or in your neighborhood, and you start being on fire for him, there's going to be those who are drawn to him because of it, and there are going to be those who persecute you because of it. Now, we should always respond in love, but know that division will come because serving and honoring God will always bring division. Verse 17. Then they said to the blind man again, Who do you, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, He is a prophet. Now, the first time he gave his testimony, he said he's a man, right? This time he says he's a prophet. He's gone from a man to a prophet, a man like any other man. Now he's a prophet, one who foretells truth. That's who Jesus is. Now watch as he continues to give his testimony that his faith will continue to grow more and more. Now the Pharisees, not not able to trip him up, are going to call his parents in. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How is it that he now sees? They don't believe the miracle. Instead of looking closer at Jesus, the Pharisees tried to disprove the miracle. Instead of saying, We need to go find Jesus and talk to him. Instead, they tried to disprove the miracle that he had performed. Remember, they'd already had stones to stone the Lord. They'd already wanted to put him to death. Just, this just makes things more difficult for them. This guy walking around was a walking testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? When Lazarus was raised from the dead, you guys remember that story? It's coming up, right? Remember Lazarus being raised from the dead? What happens when Lazarus is raised from the dead? How do the people respond? What do the Pharisees want to do? They want to kill him. The guy was in the ground for four days. Jesus raised him from the dead, and they want to kill him. Why? Because if you go to someone's funeral on Thursday, and they show up at work on Monday, that's a testimony. Amen? I mean, can you imagine someone walking in the door at work? Dude, I was, what? I was at your funeral on Thursday. How are you here, right? And so Lazarus walking around was a walking testimony. They said, man, we've got to kill that guy, or everybody's going to believe in Jesus. And you know what? Shouldn't we too be a walking testimony that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins? Shouldn't we be like Lazarus, that people see us and want to know about our God? Well, this guy, they're like, man, we've got to do something about it. We've got to disprove this miracle. We've got to you know, become spin doctors now. We've got to find a way to turn this thing around because everybody's going to follow Jesus. We won't be able to heap heavy burdens on him anymore. We won't be able to you know, give him the wheelbarrow full of rules. Man, what are we going to do if they start following God? They start following Jesus Christ. They said to him, how then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. We know that our son was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. First off, on a side note, how many of you know that your children were all born spiritually blind? We need to know that, amen? Amen. That's hard to, you know, you're holding your six-month-old, no, not my baby, right? I got four kids, and I love them to death, and I'd die for every one of them. But the reality is that our kids know, I never taught my kids to be selfish. All right, you're two now. Let me teach you how to be selfish. Watch now. Say, mine. Take it away from the other kid. Mine, right? That's what you need to do, right? I mean, I, I didn't teach my kids how to lie. Who broke the line? Him. It, was, it wasn't me. You know, you know. And I don't teach them that. They got the Adamic nature, and they're born blind. And because of that, we need to raise our kids in the light of the truth. Amen? We need to teach them the truth about the love of God. So these people understood their son was born blind. How did he then become to the point where he could see? They said, we don't know. Go and ask him. Now, why didn't they want to answer the question? Let me tell you why. Because they were afraid of the consequences 
that would happen if they stood up or said anything good about Jesus Christ. Look at the next two verses. His parents said these things, verse 22, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said he, said he is of age, ask him. If you said anything good about Jesus, we're putting you out of the synagogue. Now you might say, so what, big deal. Well, major deal. Because if you were put out of the synagogue, it would mean a loss of your livelihood. It would mean a loss of your friends. It would mean a loss of all privileges. It would mean that everybody else would be persecuting you. That you wouldn't be able to buy and sell. That you would no longer be a part of the Jewish community. Nobody would have anything to do with you. You'd be like a leper. And so they came in and said, we don't want to be put out of the synagogue, so we're not going to answer. Go and ask him. And again... Jesus said in Matthew 5 that blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. If you make a stand for God, there are going to be those who bring persecution against you. But these, the, his parents were not ready yet to testify. So guess who's going to? The blind man. Look at verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Can there be a more pathetic verse in the Bible than this? We know that this man is a sinner. Oh, the one who fed the 5,000, the one who walked on the water, the one who calmed the storm, the one who put the stars in the sky. The, the, why is it that they say this man is a sinner? Remember back in the previous chapter, how did Jesus address the Pharisees? What did he tell them? They were sons of what? Of the devil. Oh, we got the black robe. What are you talking about? I got the black robe. I'm not the Sons of the devil. Unless you confess that I am, you will die in your sins. They don't like Jesus much. Because he's blowing their gig, right? I mean, we're the religious guys. People bring tithes and stuff, and we kind of benefit from that. And you're calling us a sinner? Oh, this man must be a sinner. Instead of repenting, they make accusation against Jesus Christ. And they said, you know what? Give God the glory. I don't know what God they're talking about, because it's not, it's not Jesus right before him. But give God the glory, because we know that this man is a sinner. Give God the glory means testify of the truth. Take an oath. Tell us the truth of what you've seen. Agree with the Pharisees. Pronounce Jesus or f denounce Jesus. Renounce him or face the consequences. Again, the Pharisees were under the, under the burden of understanding that they had been accused of being sinners. And these self-righteous leaders rejected Jesus because he was a threat to their influence. He told them they were sons of the devil. And unless they confessed their sin, they would die in them. These religious self-righteous promoters of, of themselves loved the praise of men, the temporary riches of this world. They were physically focused, but they were spiritually blind, and they didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Verse 25. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Man, that's good. Amen? Can you imagine the pressure on this man as the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, this, this, these rulers of the Jews surrounded him? Give God the glory. Confess that this man's a sinner. And instead of backing up, instead of telling the people what they wanted to hear, he just gave his testimony. You know what? You may not be a theologian. Maybe you've been a Christian a short amount of time and you don't feel like you can get into a deep theological discussion with people over certain issues. And you're like, man, I'm just not equipped. You know, someone comes and talks to me, I, I don't have all the answers. But you know what you can do? You can do what this blind man did. This blind man can say, you know what, I don't know everything about Jesus, but here's what I can tell you. I used to be blind, but now I see. This is the person I used to be, then Jesus Christ touched me, and this is who I am now. Amen? Can we all do that? We can all give our testimony. We don't have to have the whole Bible memorized, though a desire to do that would be fine. But we can say who Jesus is and what he's done in my life and who I am now. We can give our testimony as this blind man does. Verse 26. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Not, not who, but what? What was the method? What was the program? What kind of plan did he use? Verse 27. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 27. And he answered them and said, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do, you not, why, do you not, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? How do you think they thought, what do you think they thought of that response? Oh, so you want to hear it again? You guys want to start following him too? Great! 
Ah! They wanted to stone him just moments ago, remember? They want to kill Jesus, and here this guy is. He tells him his testimony and says, so you guys want to be his followers too? Oh, I didn't like that response at all. He shows no fear. And I believe he asked them with sarcasm, you guys want to follow him? And you know what? There's no fear for those who've been touched by Jesus. We have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to worry about. God's in control. You know what? The good news is that I am indestructible until God is through with me. Amen? I'm not going to go, I'm not, nothing's going to happen to me unless God allows it, and I'm not leaving this earth one second before or one second after God wants me to. Amen? And so my life's in your hands, Lord. Use it as you will, and help me, Lord, not to be ashamed of you. And this blind man just said, you guys want to be his disciples too? He touched my life. He transformed me. You want to hear about it? You guys want to follow him? Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Man, if you could be grieving in heaven, how would you like to be Moses right about the time this gets said? Dude, don't, no, don't be claiming that, right? I got nothing to do with you guys, right? You know, and the reality is that people today want to be followers of men. I'm of this great teacher. I'm a follower of this guy over here. You know, I'm of this denomination. I'm of Calvary Chapel. We're not of Calvary Chapel. We're of Jesus Christ. Him crucified and risen from the dead. That's why we're called Christians, not Calvary Chapelites. Amen? I mean, we're Christians. We follow Him. And these guys, oh, we're of Moses. Moses is like, oh, no, 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 no. Right? Don't, don't, oh, don't say that, right? Don't, don't say you're following me. Because if they truly saw the law of Moses the way that they should, they would have seen their need, their desperate need for a Savior. They reviled Him. They spoke to Him with cutting words. Verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. You know what? The number one reason that people cop out when it comes to Jesus Christ is they claim that it's, it's ignorance. You know, there was a man many years ago by the name of Josh McDowell, a real renowned scientist. And this guy was going to write a book to prove that there was no God by studying the Bible. You know what happened to Josh McDowell? He got saved. And he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, proving that the Bible is the living, breathing Word of God and that Jesus Christ is God. You know what happens to somebody that opens up the Bible and really looks at it? You know what you call those people? Christians. Amen? People, who, people are ignorant. I've had people tell me, oh, the Bible, we had this just the other night, a guy, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. Really, name one. Well, you know, well, I just, they're in there somewhere. <laughs> Have you read the Bible? Oh, yeah, I've read it. What's it about? Well, you know, just a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> so, so, wait a minute, you're an authority on a book you've never read. Is that what you're trying to tell me? You know, that's the problem, ignorance. These guys are ignorant. They're religious people. They got the black robes. Let me just say this. Let Pastor Dave be blunt. Imagine that, but... Here's the thing. There's guys walking around that are spiritual leaders today that have no idea what the Bible says. They don't teach the Bible. They don't teach about the They teach from it. They teach psychology. They grab a sermonette for Christianettes out of some book they get somewhere else. And they're not teaching the Word of God. They're ignorant to what the Bible says. I love seeing you guys walking in here with your Bibles in your hand. That's what you ought to be doing at church. Amen? We're not here to hear the opinions of some guy because they're worthless. What does the Bible say? It's the Bible that transforms our lives. These guys are ignorant. They're ignorant to who Jesus is. We don't even know where he came from. How about the fact that he was born of a virgin? How about the fact that he was born in Bethlehem? How about the fact that he fulfills every messianic prophecy? That, you, that, that book that you hold in your hand and you say that you teach from, he's the fulfillment. How come you don't know this? Well, guess what? This blind man who's yet to be saved, look what he says in verse 30. This man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. How is it you don't know who he is? You're supposed to be the religious leaders of the day. You're the Sanhedrin. You're the guys with the black robes. You're the ones that stand on the street corner and pray so everybody can come see how wonderful you are. And you don't even know who he is? Well, you're not paying attention? How come you don't know? Gotta love this, this guy, man. He's just growing, isn't he? Don't you love the blind guy? I mean, he was laying begging, and all of a sudden, he's preaching it, man. He's like, oh, you guys, you just don't get it. I was once blind, but now I see. I think you're still blind. And we're going to see that in reality, they are. Verse 31. Now we know, this is the blind man speaking still, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. 
Psalm 66, 18 says, if, a, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's why when we come before the Lord, we do need to confess our sins daily to Him. Amen? There's this thing going around right now. You ask God to forgive your sins once, you never have to ask Him again. I don't know what Bible you're reading, because that's not what it says in the Word. And if I, bear, if, I have, if I have iniquity in my heart, I need to come to a place of repentance, a place of restoration. I'm born again, I'm His child. The example I would use is this. My children can sit around my table, and one of them can reach over and smack his brother. And because of that, I send him to the room. Is he still my son? Of course he is. Has he broken fellowship with his dad because he's sitting up in his room because he's been disobedient? Yes, he has. Still my son. Still my child. Always will be. But broken fellowship. But what if my son comes back down and sits on my lap and says, Daddy, I'm so sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. What do you think is going to happen? My arm's going to be around him. And there's going to be restoration in that, fellowship, in that relationship. Amen? And so we can we'll always be as sons and daughters, but we can break that fellowship by choosing to sin. And so he says here that we know, and I love this, that we know that God does not hear sinners. This guy's the blind guy who was sitting by the gate, and he's given a theological truth to all the black robe-wearing religious guys. I love it. You've got to like the blind guy. Verse 32, since the world began... It has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Amen. Hey, guys. He's opening the eyes of blind people. He's walking on water. He's feeding the 5,000 with a kid's lunch. I'm thinking we might want to take a look at who he is. You know what? He must be from God or he could not do these great things. Instead of saying, Jesus, who are you? Let me know you. What does he do instead? They ridicule and they try to put it down because they do not want to give up the thrones of their lives. You know what's interesting? In Isaiah, three different times, Isaiah said that the Messiah would come and open the eyes of the blind. Three times. Now, these are the religious leaders of the day. Shouldn't they know what the prophet Isaiah had to say? They're transcribing the words of the very verses that say that the Messiah was going to come and open the eyes of the blind. What did Jesus do? He came and opened the eyes of the blind. What did they try to do? Kill him. Put him to death. Ignorant. Wanted to be on the throne. Didn't want to give it up. Psalmist said that only God can open the eyes of a blind man. So watch this, this, this man's understanding. He said, first he's a man. Then he said he's a prophet. Now he said if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He went from a man to a prophet to a man from God. And guess what? He's not done yet. We're almost done here. Look at verse 34. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in your sins. Are you teaching us? And they cast him out. You know what? When the word comes and it convicts us, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, we can accuse others, or we can repent. Amen? We can say, you know, you get pulled over by the police officer. Everybody else is driving the same speed as me. You can do that, right? I've done that, by the way. Not, that's not a good thing to do. I'm just going with the flow of traffic. Well, the flow is at 85. I'm thinking 65 is the speed limit, right? We can make excuses. We can accuse others, or we can repent. And these guys, instead of repenting of their sin, instead of seeing their need for a Savior, they point fingers at the blind man. And make accusations against him, saying, you were born in your sins. What are they talking about? Because he was born blind. You were born completely in your sins. That's why you were born blind. And now you're trying to teach us. They're admitting the fact that this guy was healed. They said you were born in your sins. That means they must realize that he was blind, right? And now he's standing there in front of him. He's not blind anymore. Instead of accepting the miracle, they ridicule him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? You know what? I love this. He's been cast out by the religious leaders of the day. They've told him, they told Jesus, You have a demon. They told Jesus he was born of fornication. They told this, this healed man, this formerly blind man, that he was born in their sins. In their self righteous arrogance, they failed to recognize their own sinfulness. They saw no need for a Savior. So now we see true vision. As he's been cast out, who shows up to minister to him? He's been thrown out by the religious leaders of the day. No more fellowship. Told all the Jews, you can't talk to him anymore. You can't have a relationship with him anymore. You better not buy and sell from him, with him anymore, because if you do, you're going to be cast out. And who comes walking up to minister to him? They've thrown this sheep in the ditch, and who shows up but the good shepherd? Amen? 
right at the time when, oh man, here comes Jesus. I love it. He's always right on time. Amen? He always shows up in, his per- in perfect timing. This blind man, a walking testimony to the wonderful works of God. And Jesus is going to reach down. And he says to him, do you believe in the Son of God? You know, Jesus always placed a great emphasis on a public confession. You ever notice that? Jesus always placed a great emphasis on people standing up and saying, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Not play the organ real quiet in the background and raise your hand real quick and put it down and then go live your life the normal way. But he said, you know what? I want you to make a stand for me. I'm not ashamed of you. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Amen? Don't be ashamed of him. Be bold for Christ. Look what he's done for us. And the blind man, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? He gives him an opportunity to make a public confession. Verse 36. And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Now, I love this. What did they say? How did it happen? Where did it happen? What happened to you? What was the method? What was the pattern? How did, it, how did your eyes get open? And what does he say? Who is he, Lord? Not what, not where, not how, but who. Amen? And that's what it is, guys. It's not what method. It's not what path. It's not what pattern. It's not what program. It's who do we need to transform our lives. Amen? We need Jesus Christ. And there's nothing else that will transform our lives. Verse 37. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believed. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Man, I like that. You know what? I believe that this man was spiritually blind still until this very moment. He's given the testimony of what's happened in his life, but it wasn't until this moment when he said, Lord, I believe. And I love the fact that right after that, what does it say he do? And he what? He worshipped him. A life that's been touched by God will be a life that worships God. Amen? Why do we open every service with worship? Is our Lord worthy to be worshipped and to be praised and to be honored and to be lifted up? Amen? When we get to heaven, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be worshiping. And he's worthy to be worshiped. And a life that's been transformed is a life that will worship. I want to encourage you guys. Be here for worship. Amen? We're worshiping. He's worthy to be worshiped and be praised. Let's be here and lift up our voices and tell him how much we love him. It's our chance to say, Lord, we love you. You're a great and an awesome God. And you know what? This, this blind man's life had been touched, and this is the greatest miracle in the chapter. Not that he once was blind and now he sees physically, but that he was once blind and now he sees spiritually. You know how the blind man, when he was blind physically, had no clue what was in the world around him and didn't understand? Do you know that's how it is for those who are, are spiritually blind when it comes to the things of God? They look around at the world and they respond by you know, meeting at the corner down here and picketing the war. They respond by, you know, every other thing they can try to do to fight and focus against what's going on in the world because they can have no peace apart from God. They have things like Mother Earth, love her, and all these kinds of, you know, they got all these things to worship and honor and hold on to. Instead of trusting in the Lord, they're spiritually blind. We tell them, hey, God's faithful, God's in control. They don't get it. Trying to describe a cloud to this blind man. But the good news is that God loves these people enough that they will just respond to him. He will open their eyes too. Amen? It is desired that none should perish. No, not one. Last three verses. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. What is he talking about here? Seems confusing. Let me make it really clear for you. Jesus is telling them because they think they see while they're spiritually dead, that what they really are is blind people. People that think that they've found the answer, yet they're spiritually blind, they're blind people. People that think they can sit in the lotus position and, and hum something over and over again to get in touch with God, guess what? spiritually blind. Amen? Thinking that we can somehow achieve God's favor by doing good works or by doing different things, they're spiritually blind. And so we see very clearly here that the Lord is saying to them, because you think you see, yet you're still blind. But if you knew that you were blind, if you knew that you were in sin, 
If you knew that you were in desperate need of a touch from Jesus Christ, then you would see. If you're here this morning, here's the question. Who do you say that God is? Is he a man? Is he a prophet? Is he a man from God? Or is he the Son of God? If, he, if you think he's a man, that's not good enough. If you say he's a prophet, there are many prophets out there, quote prophets out there. If you say that he's a man from God, but he needs to be the Son of God, we must respond with, Lord, I believe. And before we're going to see our need for a Savior, we'll have to realize that we are sinners, that we are all like this blind man, that we're blind in our trespasses and sins, that we're in desperate need of him. I, you know what? Nobody's here this morning by chance. If you're here, God brought you here by divine appointment because he loves you so very much. And you know what? If you're here and you don't know the Lord, he wants you to open your eyes to him this morning. He wants to reach out and touch you and transform your life right where you are. And I want to encourage you, let's be like this, if we know the Lord, let's be like this blind man and let's not be ashamed of the Lord. Let's not worry about what the world says. Let's just be faithful to God no matter what the circumstances are. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word and we thank you for the transformation in this blind man's life. And Father, I pray if there's any here this morning that do not know you, that Lord, that by divine appointment, just as you walked by and saw the beggar, the Lord, you look down and you see them right where they sit right now. Father, I pray that by just your love and your grace and your mercy, that they would see their need for you. Not, Lord, that that you're a, a judging God, but Lord, that you're a loving, gracious, and merciful God who cares for them so very much. Lord, I just pray if there's any here this morning that don't know you, that, Father God, they would not leave this place the way that they came, but, Lord, that their lives would be transformed. And if you're here, just as Jesus asked for a public confession, I'm going to ask for one now. As every head's bowed, just be praying for those who don't know the Lord. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, and you just want to make a simple prayer of, you know what, Lord, I believe, just like this blind man. Lord, I I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm a sinner and I desperately need you. The Bible says if you do that, that all the angels in heaven will rejoice. There will be a party in heaven. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. You'll have the promise of eternity just like this blind man. It'll be the greatest miracle of all, of your life going from death into life. If there's anybody here at all that says, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to just know about him, but I want to know him. And I want to just pray that right now. Know when I leave this place that I've been born again. If there's anybody here at all, I just want you to raise your hand and make that public confession like this man did, and I will pray with you. Is there anybody here at all? Anybody? Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, again for your love and your grace. And help us, Lord, that do know you, to make a stand for you, knowing, Lord, that you are with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, Father God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that while each one of us was blind, that you touched our eyes, and you opened our eyes, Father, and now we can see you clearly. Help us, Father God, to walk in your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everybody stand. We'll close the worship song.